When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kenny and Carlin on a Monday on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on Twitter at Chris Carlin and at ChrisCanny99. Did the Chiefs do enough in the draft to remain atop of the AFC West? That's the question we're throwing out there on the CC Carlin line. Hit us up, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And big fella, we got big news that's breaking out of the NFC West. Cardinals Pro Bowl wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins suspended six games due to a violation of the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy. Now, we talked about it a little bit during the break. Maybe this is the reason why the Arizona Cardinals had some urgency in trading a first-round pick in order to get Hollywood Brown from the Baltimore Ravens. But this is a bombshell that's going to have ripple effects throughout the NFC West and the rest of the conference, if we're being honest. Look, I this is not, to me, uh, any sort of justification for what I still think was a stupid trade. I, 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 I'm sorry. I, it's a stupid trade. And, all right, you're not going to be um, with him for six games, and that's a kick in the pants, obviously. Um, you better start to feel better about some of the other younger guys that they brought in last year at receiver a kid from Purdue whose mind is whose, uh, name is escaping me at the moment, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> I know you lost Christian Kirk, and I know you need help, but it does not justify trading away a first-round pick for a guy that has proven he is not a first-round talent. And I go back to what you just heard me say a minute ago. Dude, this is not the Big 12. You, you are actually going to get covered in the league. That happens. <laughs> and the Big 12, they don't cover. It's, there's 1,500 yards combined between two teams in these games. So just because you're going back to play with, play with Kyler Murray in a system that may be better for you, I don't think all of a sudden that's going to make up for the loss of DeAndre Hopkins for six games. No doubt about it. And the guy you're thinking about is Rondale Moore, yes. like, kind of like the do-everything guy. He's a return specialist. A, good player. a lot and of I, gadgets. He's a yeah. good football player. I mean, he's a yak monster. But, yeah, you're right. It's a lot to ask Rondale Moore and A.J. Green and Marquise Brown and Andy Isabella to make up for the difference and not having DeAndre Hopkins. Also, they lost Christian Kirk in free agency, too, to a bag to the Jacksonville yeah. Jaguars. So it's going to be interesting to see the Arizona Cardinals overcome all of those losses early on and try to keep pace with the other teams in their division because you're still talking about them looking up at the 49ers and looking up at the defending world champions, the Los Angeles Rams. So this is not a good time for Steve Kime, their general manager, to be at odds with their quarterback because they're going to need Kyler Murray to be a force multiplier, especially early on. Look. They are a team that I feel like should be a lot better than they are. They they have proven themselves to get better over the last few years, mm-hmm. but I really feel like for all the talk about Kingsbury being the offensive genius, for all the talk about Steve Kime being an incredible executive in this league, I haven't really seen the results for me to believe that to be the case. 
Am I being unfair? You're being a little unfair because we've seen incremental improvement from the Arizona Cardinals since Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury got there. They were 5-10-1 in their first year, 8-8 eight and eight in their second year, and in this past season, they did a damn good job, Carlin. You're talking about them being 11-6 and six and in the playoffs. I understand that. So the trajectory that you're looking for is there. The question is, is it going to be sustainable? And I think that's a legitimate question because we're sitting here waiting for the rest of the NFL to catch up to what Cliff Kingsbury has been doing from a scheme standpoint, and it feels like we saw a lot of that toward the end of this past year. But what year. I ask you is this. Is there anything about the Cardinals right now that either one of us says, oh, look out for the Cardinals? Uh, when, when we have our discussions about the NFC, is there anything there with the Cardinals that enters the chat? No, there's not. And they may have had that 11-6 and six season, and I don't think it's just our perception. I think it's looking at a team and understanding that, yes, they have made some incremental improvements, mm-hmm. but I'd like to see a bigger jump before I'm going to get all excited about what they're doing because I truly did not understand what they were doing this weekend. I truly didn't. No, I didn't understand it either. I thought the 23rd pick was a little bit rich for Hollywood Brown. You need a tight end in round two. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that was a reach. I, and I know who the I know it's the Colorado State kid, Trey McBride. That's yeah. fine. And he was regarded as the best in, in the, in the, in the uh, draft. Yeah. But I don't look at Trey McBride and say, yeah, he's going to bring the Cardinals to that next level. Uh, if I were the Cardinals... Hollywood Brown is not as good as a receiver that they would have been able to pick at 20. Well, I, talk to me about this, Colin, because I don't understand how they can justify putting a 23rd overall pick into Hollywood Brown where the Eagles traded the 18th overall pick as the exactly. centerpiece for A.J. Brown. Exactly. And those two players aren't even in the same zip code when it no. comes to class of receiver. And, and That's I, the part that I don't understand. Where's the value in that? And ask me, answer me this. All we've said about Hollywood Brown for his first couple of years is that he's been a disappointment. When we look back to where he was, was he drafted, 25th, 26th? Yeah, he was a back by the, the first-round guy, yeah. So you're actually giving up a better first-round pick than he went for, and he hasn't shown the production then. And, well, no, it's it's about the system. Yeah. It's about the system. Dude, you're playing with Lamar Jackson. <laughs> you know, maybe you catch a few more balls. Don't drop the ones that you do. You should be able to find a way. Like, th- I can't hear about the system when you've got the talent around you that you do. Mark Andrews is a legitimate problem for defenses. You have not proven to be that. You have to become better. And let's call it what it is. He is a guy in the league that when we talk about receivers and size... There are guys that can overcome that. He has not overcome that at all. No, you're listening to Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio reacting to the news of Cardinals Pro Bowl wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins being suspended six games for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy. Hit us up on the CC call-in line, 888-ESPN, that's 888-729-3776. And Carlin, looking at the other side of that trade with the Baltimore Ravens, I absolutely love the move that they made in trading Hollywood Brown picking up an extra first-round pick, and then going with the center Tyler Lindenbaum out of Iowa. I I thought that was a fantastic move because it signals the Ravens getting back to an identity that made them successful in the Lamar Jackson era, which is running the football and having multiple tight ends on the field. Everybody was saying that we have to see this evolution in the passing game for Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens to take that next step and be a true title contender. But this move right here signals that they're doubling down 
on being a physical outfit that's going to be led by a running game, and then they'll supplement that with some shots down the field in their passing game with the receivers that they have on hand. I don't have a problem with Baltimore going that direction. No. And I look at everything the Ravens did this weekend, and I absolutely love it. Love it. I love Linderbaum. I love the fact that in the second round, they were more than willing to wait out the injury of David Ajabo. Mm-hmm. Picking Ajabo is going to go a long way. And, it, you know, there were people that I asked about Ajabo when it came to playing on the opposite side of Aiden Hutchinson. And I said, all right, how much is it based around that? The, the amount of opportunities that he gets to sack the quarterback. And the response I got was pretty universal. No, it's not just the other guy getting all the attention. It's how good this guy is. They steal, steal Kyle Hamilton. I'm not even a safety guy, but it, this is how much I have to respect the Ravens. When you tell me the Ravens are taking a safety, I'm never going to criticize them because they've had great histories with them. Like, there, there are so many good things that the Ravens have done in the past. It almost kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Draymond. Like, the Ravens get the benefit of the doubt. No doubt. Because of what they have done in their history. They go out, they get corners, uh, they get, um, I mean, they took two tight ends. You think, why would you take two tight ends? Why not? If if that is going to do for your pass game and for your run game what they need to be done, I, I think they're... I trust the instincts of these guys, given who's involved. Yeah, and just think about it. You're pairing Kyle Hamilton with Marcus Williams, the safety that they brought over for the New Orleans Saints. The back end of that Ravens defense is going to be scary. Coming up next, what else is going to be scary? The Philadelphia 76ers going down to South Beach to take on the Heat in round two without Joel Embiid. So how much is Doc Rivers to blame for that? You hear from one of us hmm. that's pretty crisp off about it. You're listening to Kenny and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Back after this. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight as the Suns host the Mavs. Presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 9.30 Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Mark Kestisher and P.J. Carlissimo are on the call. And we have another game as a part of that NBA playoff doubleheader tonight, Carlin. We got the Philadelphia 76ers going down to South Beach, and Kyle Lowry is ruled out by the Miami Heat. But we have another guy that's ruled out for this series, and it could potentially sway the outcome of this series, that being all-everything potential MVP, Joel Embiid, the guy that led the league in scoring as a center, first guy to do that since Shaquille O'Neal did it 20 years ago. He's not going to be playing in this game down at South Beach, and it happened in their series finale against the Toronto Raptors where he got an orbitable bone fracture while he was trying to defend Pascal Siakam taking it to the rack. And I got to ask this question, Carlin, because I know, you, I, know, I know you feel a way about it. How much of that is on Doc Rivers, the fact that Embiid is dealing with concussion symptoms and this orbital bone fracture? Why? Because Embiid was in the game when the game was in hand with three and a half minutes left? <laughs> How much of it is on? Well, you know what? Don't ask me. Let's ask Doc. Doc. Hey, Doc. How much of this is on you, Embiid, being in the game late in the game when it's well in hand? And the other team had all their guys in, too. Um, the last five minutes of the game, we made the run the last minute of that game, uh, right before that. That's when we got a 29. Uh, after Joel made the shot and did the airplane, if you watch the game, I turned and said, let's get, I'm calling a timeout on the next possession. So, not upset that he was in. You can make that a big deal if you want. But uh, just go and look at every team and every game, and their guys are in until about the four or three minute mark. Yeah, here's the thing, Doc, <laughs> about that. When you say go look at every team and every game and about the four or three minute mark, does every team have Joel Embiid? I don't care if the Indiana Pacers still have their starters on the floor with three and a half minutes left in a game. I care if Joel Embiid, with a injury history that is extensive, with a body that is still gangly and tough to control at times for him, which many times has led to his injuries in the past. I care if you have the game in hand and he is still on the floor. There is no reason for it whatsoever, but I tell you what, with Doc, since he has been in Philadelphia, the refrain is always the same. It's not my fault. It's never been my fault. You got to look at look at the circumstances of how it all went down. Well, at what point do we all admit that you're the freaking common denominator to things that go wrong, to series that are just blown? 2020, the Nuggets, 3-1. Adios. I mean the Rockets. In 2015, I doc how is how are none of these ever your fault? How are I'll go back to 2003, the Magic when they had the lead on the Pistons. Yes, <laughs> and then the Magic did it to you a few years later. None of it is ever your fault. Oh, and by the way, there was the year you could have won another championship against the Lakers, but what happened? Yeah. yeah.
I'm just so sick and tired of Doc Rivers, <laughs> and I like Doc Rivers. Do I, you? I, do. I can't. I can't tell. I nearly. I can't tell. At one point in my life, I nearly got in a fight with Bill Bellamy over Doc Rivers. That's how much I like Doc Rivers. Don't even bother for me to explain that. But yeah, that I was about to say Bill it Bellamy. Was, it's weird. <laughs> it's a whole thing, but it involved Doc Rivers and Bill Bellamy, and it was I'm trying to get Doc Rivers to help him get to an interview. I like Doc Rivers. I do. I thought he was a great choice for the Sixers, but I'm so sick and tired of never taking any responsibility whatsoever for anything that ever gets wrong. Am I racking up points right now around the horn? Absolutely. This is the around the horn. This is exactly what it is. I love it. Just (laughs) once look in the mirror and say, you know what? Maybe I played a role in that. Instead of looking back at us and saying, well, you just don't know the game. You're not paying attention. Go back and watch. You go look at this. You go look at that. There is an excuse for everything for Doc. And let me tell you something. That is not going to fly. That is not going to fly when you lose this series. And make no mistake. The Sixers are losing this series. Yeah, so Doc Rivers is the Baker Mayfield of coaches in the NBA. We've established that based on Chris Carlin's take. But Carlin... I like Baker's competitive spirit more than Doc right now. Honestly. But Carlin, with Embiid being out these first couple of games down in Miami, it also creates another opportunity for James Harden to change a little bit of the narrative when it comes to his postseason legacy as well. Because this is a chance for him to be able to take over the mantle as the best player for the Philadelphia 76ers and try his best to find a way to get his team a split down in South Beach. Do you see an avenue? Do you see a path for James Harden to be able to do that? And what does that look like from your perspective? No. No, I don't see it. And and the reason I don't see it, when you say, do I see an avenue, here's what I take that to mean. Do I see a way in which the Sixers win a game in Miami? Of the next two. Yes. If, in fact, Embiid can play in game three, is there a way? My answer right now is no. I Because I keep looking for James Harden to recapture, just for a game or two here and there, what he was two years ago. And it's not happening. I get it. I, I love how much Harden, to his credit, has absolutely facilitated for other guys. Mm-hmm. But... To me, that's not enough in this kind of series. When you don't have Embiid, you and Maxi, if you were playing at a higher level, could they win a game? Of course, absolutely, they could. I don't. Ex- Do you think Harden's going to go out there and have thirty-five tonight? He's going to have to in one of these games. He's going to have to Let be me able to be a that. volume scorer like we saw down in Houston. Is he capable of doing it against the Miami Heat and their lockdown? That's a great question because I don't think we've seen him try to do it with the Philadelphia 76ers, but this is going to have to be James Harden's show, and Tyrese Maxey is not going to be far behind. In order for them to get a win in one of these games down in South Beach, it's going to take the two of those guys combining for 65, 70 points because let's be honest with ourselves, Carlin, it ain't coming from Tobias Harris. It ain't coming from Danny Green. It ain't coming from nobody else on their roster. Nope. It's going to have to be those two dudes going off. But if you're right in saying that they're probably not going to win a game down in Miami, series is I, over. then I will tell you that the series is over because there's no chance that the Sixers are going to be able to win four of the next five games once the series shifts back to Philadelphia in Game 3. So we'll have more on that up in a little bit. Doc Rivers and what Philly needs to do in order to make this a competitive series against the Miami Heat. We'll talk to somebody that's in the know. That's coming up next. This is Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio.
10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. Proud to serve members of the Armed Forces, DOD veterans, and their families. Our members are the mission. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. And you just heard Chris Carlin go off about Doc Rivers and how the Joel Embiid injury is all Doc Rivers' fault. And it's not something that we didn't see because, Carlin, we talked about it at the end of game two, how he kept those guys in with a 20-plus point lead. But for more on the pressure that's going on in Philly around Doc Rivers, let's talk to Sixers reporter for the Daily Six, Derek Bodner. And Derek, just exactly how much pressure is on Doc Rivers now going into this series against the Miami Heat in round two? Honestly, I think there's a lot less. Um, because with Joel Embiid's injury, I don't think very many people are picking him. I just heard a, a clip from Stephen A. saying that, uh, you know, Miami in five. And I think for the most part, that's where a lot of people uh, sit. You know, I think there's a lot of pressure on him in round one, certainly in game six, to not have that go to game seven for just the fourth time in NBA history after being up um, three games to zero. So I think, I think they've lost a lot of the pressure. You know, I think a lot of people would understand that this is the top seed in the East and you don't have Joel Embiid for at least a part of it. Uh, I think his, I mean, look, everyone's under pressure. You don't want a second round exit for the second year in a row. But I think a lot of people would understand this one more than last year's. Derek, how much is the city blaming Doc on the Embiid injury considering when it happened? Yeah, there's a a pretty even split. You know, I think when you look at it logically, they're up 29 with four minutes left when he got injured. There's no chance that uh, the Raptors were going to score 29 points in four minutes, even if the Sixers missed legitimately everything. Uh, So I think a lot of people think he should have taken him out. You know, I think a lot of people also believe that most coaches in that situation probably don't take him out too much sooner and that there's a little bit of a fluke occurrence. But look, my argument isn't even, all right, so something happened, it was a complete fluke. Nobody could have ever predicted that Pascal Siakam would elbow him in the eye socket. Okay, fine. He was playing with a torn ligament in his thumb. My issue would be, look, if you can get a minute or two where there's no chance of that thumb getting hit or caught on something, that would have been the reason. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think he probably made a mistake, but I think a lot of people also understand it to some degree. Look, I, I would, I, I get all that. My other thing, too, is the Embiid injury history and the fact that 
he is a guy with kind of an awkward body that can lead to the awkward type of injury. I, it almost feels to me that there are times where you just don't even tempt fate, and that felt like he was unnecessarily tempting fate. Yeah, no, I certainly, like, get him out two minutes earlier. You know, they were probably up 25 at that point. It's not like there was ever a close game in that fourth quarter. I think they were up 18-plus that entire fourth quarter. So, yeah, get him out a couple minutes earlier. I fully agree. I also understand why in a closeout game coaches are paranoid. Um, I think, like I said, I think a lot of coaches would have made that same mistake, especially when you have a history that Doc is sensitive to. Uh, so I sort of understand it from a human perspective why he would have wanted to make sure they uh, locked that one in. Talking to the Daily Six 76ers reporter Derek Bodner on Candy and Carlin. And Derek, what are the Sixers going to need from James Harden if they're going to make this a competitive series against the Heat? Yeah, I think they're going to need him. You know, I, I, Obviously, I think he's got to score a little more than he has been. But I don't think they need him to try to be Houston James Harden because right now I don't think he can be Houston James Harden. And I think this is a pretty tough matchup for him uh, with the Heat. You know, I think they have a lot of pretty good, depending on health. You know, Jimmy Butler obviously is fighting the knee problem. Kyle Lowry's out game one. Still, Miami with Bam as a switchable center is a pretty tough matchup, I think, for James to try to attack too much in isolation. What I think they need from him is, you know, run some small, small pick and roll with Tyrese Maxey to force a switch. Maybe get Tyrese Maxey onto an exploitable defender. Let him do a lot of the scoring or run a lot of pick and roll and create shots in the corners for some of your teammates. I think they need him to be aggressive. I don't think that necessarily means trying to shoot 20, 22 times per game like he did in his prime, because I think that style of basketball would uh, not yield the, the results that they want. Derek, who is that third guy then? If it's if it's Maxie and Harden, who is the guy that they can turn to to rely on to deliver the offense in this circumstance? Yeah, I mean, it almost has to be Tobias Harris. And I think Tobias Harris actually played. Or the tone the in your voice series. when you said that alone. The tone in your voice. You don't believe it. When you said that alone, well, yeah, I guess it's got to be Tobias Harris. Here's the thing. I think Tobias, he did an incredible job in that series defending Pascal Siakam. And I think they're going to need him a lot to defend Jimmy Butler. Throughout the you know four-game regular season series, he was a primary defender on Jimmy Butler and actually did a pretty reasonable job. So I think they need him to expend that kind of energy on the defensive side of the court, which isn't what he's known for, but I think he's gotten better at over the years uh, because he's really the only one who physically can defend Jimmy Butler. Everyone else on the Sixers is either really slow or really small. So I, I'm not sure he's, you know, look, Tobias's offensive game, I think, is when you ask him to do too much, he gets into some bad habits, whether that is, you know, sort of like pull-up jumpers, mid-rangers off the pick and roll, or trying to post up, or dribbling too much and going into sort of a watered-down version of prime mellow. I think when he tries to do too much, the offense can stagnate. So, you know, that's part of why I think Jimmy Butler, or um, Jimmy Butler, James Harden needs to really be a playmaker um, to get Tobias Harris easy shots, easy decisions, so that he's not trying to do a little too much on offense, which he certainly can because the Sixers are losing 30 points out of their lineup for at least the first, first two games. Talking to the Daily Six, 76ers reporter Derek Bodner on Canty and Carlin. Derek, in 30 seconds or less, coming into the playoffs, the Philadelphia sports fans wanted Doc Rivers' head on a platter, and you said coming into this series, the pressure is off of Doc. Does the complexion of this series matter in terms of Doc Rivers' job security going into next season? 
Oh, I think it could. I think a lot of it's going to come down to um, how they go out. If they go, you know, if they lose the first two games and they're embarrassed, uh, maybe Embiid can't come back in game three and they get swept, then yes, I think certainly that could factor in. If they fight hard and you just say, you know, if we if we had had Embiid for another two games, we would have won that, then probably not. Well, then Doc will have his excuse right in place. Good to go. Ready to go and move on from there. DB, great stuff, man. We appreciate the time. Yep, thank you. Derek Bodner, the Daily Six, Sixers reporter. You can follow him on Twitter, at Derek Bodner NBA. Does a tremendous job covering that team. I have little to no faith in the Sixers having a chance in this series. And if they get one of the first two, that would be phenomenal. I'm I'm pulling for the Sixers. I actually am. Mm -hmm. But if they get one of the first two, I think it's a miracle. Let me ask you this question. Who's the best player on the court in game one? Jimmy Butler fully healthy or not? I mean, with the knees, dealing with the knees. With, with where Jimmy Butler is health-wise. I think the best player in, on the court in game one is Tyrese Maxey. I, I think it is. And it's it, it's very telling to say that you've got the best player on the court, and yet you don't feel like you have a real shot in the first couple of games without yeah. Joel Embiid. Very telling about where the Sixers are at, and where we're at with Doc Rivers. Coming up next, where are the 49ers at with Debo Samuel? They didn't trade him on draft weekend. Could he be on the move in the coming weeks? You'll get the answer from us. Also, Sean and James, hang on on the CNC call-in line. We're going to get to you on the other side of the break. This is Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
Danny and Carlin on ESPN Radio. And big fella, we got some people on the CC call-in line. What do you say we give them a listen? Let's go out to Sean in Ohio. Sean, you're on ESPN Radio. What up? How you doing this afternoon? Doing Trying pretty good. Beat rain here. Beating the rain here in Ohio. It's a bad storm that's going through, but we're 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 fighting through it. I I got a got a question on the on the Malik uh Malik uh, Willis. Here he goes to the to the team with the number one seed in the AFC. And and I think with the with the pass run option being the norm now, I I, I wonder why people would pass on him and my I guess my real question is being that the draft was in Vegas, what 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 would you think you could have got the odds on Malik being after the fiftieth pick? What would have Vegas gave us on that? I just oh, I, find I that think be- his over under number was around right 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 around where the Steelers were picking. Mm-hmm. I think it was right around twenty yeah. and a half or something like that. Yep. Um, there's listen. There were some folks who picked him to go second. You know, really taking a shot at it with Detroit, but. The fact that he ended up at 86, I, I felt bad for the kid because you never want to see the kid that's hanging out there all day. But I, all I'll ever say to anybody that is in that situation where you almost feel borderline embarrassed, Aaron Rodgers, man. Aaron Rodgers sat in that damn green room for 24 picks, and he was the only guy left back in the day. And he looked despondent when he wasn't getting picked. And... Look how that turned out. So, but he still went in the first round, though, Carlin. No, and I get it. You know what I'm saying? It. We've seen some quarterbacks that have been in there, and Malik Willis included in that group that have gone to the draft and not been picked. But in let's the go, first let's day. call what it is right now, okay? Now doesn't matter. Now you just got to go play, and I think it's a good situation for him to be in Tennessee because he doesn't have to come in and play right away. And, and Chris, he to me is very much. Uh, somebody that I think would benefit from a year of just watching and learning, of just watching and learning. But I think he's got a chance to be a pretty good quarterback. Yeah, I do too, but it's going to take him some time in order to get to that guy that that can potentially elevate the players around him. And I'll say this about the move from Tennessee's perspective. I think they're getting tired of the Ryan Tannehill experience. Yeah. And you saw that in the first playoff game when they got bounced by Cincinnati through an interception on the first throw of the game, the first throw of the second half, and the last throw of the game. That can't happen for a quarterback that you're paying $30 million a year. I was about to go right to the salary because that's the one that is always going to bother you when it comes to Ryan Tannehill. He may have developed a little bit later, but he was worth nowhere near that kind of money. The all-pro 49ers receiver couldn't Debo his way out of San Francisco on draft weekend. You're listening to Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. And, big fella, before we get to that, we got to go out to Houston because we got Doc on the CC calling line, and he's got something to say about your team. Doc, you're on ESPN Radio. What up? Rivers? Hey, guys. Missed, missed y'all for the last couple of weeks, man. Hey, y'all do a good job. But I got a comment about... Uh, Kenny Pickett, man. I've been meaning to call you guys to to ask you this question. Nobody had a problem with Kenny Pickett opting out of the bowl game, not willing to compete compete with the other guys. I mean, you know, you got old guys that be out here, you know, pl- playing on a basketball court, knowing they can twist an ankle and miss work for a week or so, uh, whatever. But the, the the not wanting to compete. That just that kind of, yeah, that's no, 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 no. I don't think that's a fair way to put it. That's not the right way to characterize it. These guys 
have busted it for years. Kenny Pickett in particular, with everything that went on in Pittsburgh and where he was originally uh, supposed to go with Temple. I I have no problem with guys opting out of bowl games. Does it stink if you're a fan and you don't get you feel like you want to win a bowl game? Yeah, it does. But at the same time, if you're not playing for a national, I'd have more of a problem if you're in the playoff and you opt out. And that doesn't happen because guys know that that will speak to their competitiveness. But if you're not playing in the Gasparilla Bowl, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're good, Kenny. Go do it. And by the way, people never want to hear this, but it's so true. Younger players who get 15 extra practices and get a chance to go play in a game and get experience out of it are going to benefit that program in the long term. There's no question about it. It's an extension of spring ball, but you have it during the regular season. Yep. That's a huge advantage. But, Carlin, I'm pretty sure that there's a large contingent of Pitt Panthers fans that are just fine with Kenny Pickett's decision to sit out of the bowl game, seeing as how he's now their Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. Yeah, yeah same I'm, fan I'm, base. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're okay with that. So, yeah, I think you framed it the right way. It's not, about, it's not about him. Exactly. <laughs> how would they feel if they had picked him, but by the way, he blew out his Achilles in the bowl game? Exactly, exactly. So I think Pittsburgh Panthers fans are okay with that, most of them anyway. But uh, we got to talk about what happened in draft weekend with Debo Samuel. Because I absolutely... You mean what didn't happen? Well, I, 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 it didn't happen, but we would assume, based on what the Jets were putting out there in an offer, that it would happen. Now, there are reports that the Jets had the number 10 overall pick, a fifth-round pick on the table for Debo Samuel, and a second-round pick. And it, although the second-round pick seems like one of those head-scratchers in terms of why the Jets would throw that in there, I'm curious as to why San Francisco wasn't more aggressive in being able to push in order to get the 10th overall pick. Because a couple of things here. Number one, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are not going to be drafted in the top 10 anytime soon based on where their program is at. First of all, they don't have a first-round draft pick next year anyway as a result of the Trey Lance trade. And then you're talking about a team that's always going to be flirting with the playoffs. So the best you can hope for is late teens at the earliest. So it seems like if that were an opportunity that was available to you, you would take advantage of it, especially in a receiver-rich draft if you needed to try to find a guy to offset the the loss in production from Debo. So that would be number one. Second thing is this. If the guy said he's not going to play for you, Carlin, how are you going to make him play for you? I know that fans say, well, he's under contract. He The team has all the leverage. No, they don't. The team doesn't have any leverage. And NFL players are seeing what NBA players are doing, and they're saying, you know what? Because they rewrote the CBA and guys can no longer hold out, we're just going to hold in. I'm going to show up, report to training camp on time, and there's going to be something wrong with my back or there's going to be something wrong with my hamstring where I'm not available to play for you. That way, I get the credit for the season, the contract doesn't toll, and I'm a year closer to free agency, and the team's leverage is a lot less in terms of being able to command significant draft capital in a trade moving forward. I don't understand what the hell San Francisco was doing. Debo said he's not going to play for you. You can't fix the relationship. It goes beyond just trying to get a contract. So why are you trying to force a square peg in a round hole? It doesn't make sense. I don't know why they have clearly talked themselves into thinking they can fix it. Because you don't get any indication that that's going to happen. Because as you and I were talking about before the show, it's not just about money. It's about how they're using them. 
that he doesn't want to carry the ball nearly as much. And if you look at it, he carried the ball a lot more toward the end of the season as it was. And I get that. He hasn't hit the big payday yet. You understand why running back now at this juncture in the NFL is not the position that you want to be playing because there is the least longevity and there is the least opportunity to get paid big. So if I'm Debo, I understand that. I don't want you taking away from my chance of making big plays downfield. Here's what I would ask you, though. Is there the opportunity to still make a trade there? Let's just say that as they were talking about it back and forth, and the idea came up about the 10th pick, and and Joe Douglas did say when the 10th pick came up, there was no discussion at that point, but there had been before. So if, if that's the case... Can you revive that deal before he signed, before Garrett Wilson signs his contract? Can you say, if you're the 49ers and you were going to pick Garrett Wilson anyway, had you gotten the 10th pick, would you then still make that deal now if you make another push to try to save it and you can't? I'm not aware of any precedent as far as something like that happening, but... I'm not going to completely rule it out because this is an unusual circumstance and we are talking about a singular talent in Debo Samuel. This is a unique circumstance. I'm not going to say that this is something that's completely off the table, especially if the Jets haven't given Garrett Wilson a huge signing bonus check. Right. So I I think this is prior to them signing. I think this could possibly happen. It's just a matter of if, if this was something that San Francisco was actually willing to do, then why wouldn't they pull the trigger right as the Jets came on the Maybe clock? Maybe they're still trying to talk themselves into think they can fix it. That's the only thing I can but, come but up Carlin, with. But, there, Carlin, there have been several things out there from how they use him to what he wants to make to him wanting to be closer to the East Coast. It's not It's not like it's an unknown in terms of what it's going to take to get a deal done. It's going to cost $25, 26000000 million a year. But it's clear to me that it's not just money that's going to fix the rift between Debo Samuel and the San Francisco 49ers.